0: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele.
1: And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode 123 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Doug Harward, Doug is the CEO and founder of Training Industry, which provides information, insights, and resources to help learning professionals more effectively manage the business of learning. And Doug is a seasoned veteran of the training industry. Before we get to the interview with Doug, though, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the first quarter of 2018.
0: We are happy to have Blue Sky eLearn sponsoring this quarter. Blue Sky is the maker of the PATH learning management system, an award-winning cloud-based learning solution that empowers your organization to maximize its message. Blue Sky eLearn also provides a range of virtual event and instructional services to help you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and everything it has to offer, visit blueskyelearn.com.
1: For our resource for this episode, we want to highlight an article by Doug Harward titled 10 Things You Must Do When Starting Your Training Company. This article offers really useful tips from someone who has deep experience in this area. And while it's aimed mainly at entrepreneurs, that is, people who want to start up a business. We think it's very useful even for those listeners who may not identify as entrepreneurs. In the article, Doug touches on topics like productizing your offerings, clearly articulating your value, and publishing to raise your visibility and attract customers. And these are practices that uh, we've talked about again and again that apply to every learning business. So visit the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com episode 123 to get the link to Doug's article. Now, Salisa, so you and I have both had the chance to sit down and talk with Doug before. Um, had had a really great conversation with him, and we're eager to get him on to the show. Can you give us a little bit of a taste of what this conversation was like?
0: Well, you know, as you mentioned at the outset, Doug's a veteran. He's worked in the training industry uh, with a little T and a little I for years before he founded training industry, big T, big I. And so a lot of what he and I talked about draws on his perspective of what's changed and what hasn't changed in the training industry over the course of the last few decades, in particular, corporate training, which um, he deals with a lot, and from both sides of the equation, both the supplier side and the buyer side. And I'll I'll say, too, that Doug, at heart, is is a really practical application-focused guy, and, and I think that comes through in his thoughts on the major challenges and opportunities facing learning businesses today.
1: Well, I know Doug had some great insights when, when we had the opportunity to, to talk with him face-to-face. So um, I'm really looking forward to what he has to say in this interview. And I think listeners are really going to benefit from this one. So let's uh, go ahead and roll the interview with Doug Harwood.
0: Hello out there. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Doug Harward. Doug is the CEO and founder of Training Industry, which provides the information, insights, and resources that learning professionals need to be more effective managers of the business of learning. And Doug is a leading authority on competitive analysis for training services and works with international companies and new business startups in building training organizations. Doug is also the co-author of What Makes a Great Training Organization, a Handbook of Best Practices. Doug, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast.
2: Thank you very much, Lisa. Pleasure to be here.
0: And so I'd love for you to uh, kick things off by saying a bit more about uh, training industry and what you do, your role there, your work.
2: Sure. So uh, training industry is a market intelligence firm for the corporate trading marketplace worldwide we provide information to both the buyers and the sellers or we call it the supply and the buy side of the corporate trading marketplace and most of our information is is more about best practices centered around what we call the business of learning Um, and um, and we name the top 20 companies in the marketplace by a variety of different Segment, such as leadership, training, uh, learning technology, sales training, and so on. Um, you can find us at trainingindustry.com.
0: So you've been involved for uh, many years at this point in the training industry. And so I would love to hear from you about some of the changes that you've seen in the training field and in how learning happens.
2: Well, I think the um, the industry has... Uh, evolved quite a bit over the 30 plus years that I've been a part of it. I I think we, uh, you know, we've we've continued to be a very events-based type of uh, profession, meaning, meaning, you know, most learning occurs through training courses and events and programs, but I, and I find that, that through technology and through different types of practices, this is where the biggest change is starting to occur, which I think is a very positive thing. Where I think our profession is learning to be a bit more or, or somewhat more focused on what we call the learning experience, mm-hmm. not just within one event or one program, but over a period of time. And I think this is where we're learning a lot from the science of learning, from neuroscientists who are telling us uh, quite a bit about, you know, the way that, that an individual learns over a period of time. How do you manage that experience? What are the things that you can do, you know, from, you know, learning programs to how to onboard to micro learning to on the job and just a variety of different things? And that's, that's really where we're seeing the biggest changes occur. And we think it's a very exciting time, too.
0: Yeah, well, that definitely um, resonates with me in the sense of we, we definitely like to emphasize experience over events because, as you said, it, it just it, it fits with what we know about how learning actually happens and how we are able to apply that learning, that often it's not just that one-time course. It's about um, taking that back to, to the workplace, taking that uh, into our daily lives and beginning to apply it. So that is an exciting change to see. And you know one of the things, because of your perspective on on corporate training and you have that both that supply and the the buy side point of view, you know for some of our listeners who have learning and education offerings that they might want to take into an organization or a, a company at the enterprise level, you know, so that they might want to offer what 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 they have um, into into the training function at a company, what what advice would you have? What do they need to know about how? training works in that context, any thoughts on, on how they should approach that kind of business to business sale?
2: Sure. Well, I, th- I think, you know, I'll start with the idea that, that, uh, that um, we obviously have to deliver value, and I know that's somewhat of an overused kind of phrase that we've heard many, many, many times, and we, I think we all get it. I think what we struggle with is, so what does it really mean to provide value, uh, especially when we're creating a learning program or delivering a learning program? I think the biggest thing it ties back to what we we just talked about it just a second ago in the learning experience is recognizing that when you provide some type of learning solution solution to your client that that the more you can do to 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 make that that solution somewhat a broader part of the learning experience instead of a one day event but what can you do to add value that helps them when they go back to the job for example Helps them with how to how to apply it on the job. Maybe even helps them with how to design practice and what we call it embedded practice into the on on the job experience. Anything you can do to to make that learning solution, you know, kind of take and carry over over a period of time. Uh, that's where we're seeing some of the most innovative things happening too. For example, in technology, where many content providers that we work with are looking very aggressively at how do they use, for example, mobile apps and tools that when the learner goes back to the job, there's more information that can be reinforced or, or it can be uh, practice can somewhat be organized and guided for when they're on the job. You know, anything like that that extends that learning experience, we think is one of the most powerful things that you can do to add value. Um, and uh, I think, you know, obviously... The, the other things that we always think about is making sure the program is on target, it's aligned to what the learning objectives are. Those things are are uh, are, are critically important, but in some regards, they're table stakes, meaning mm-hmm. you know, we've always known that that's important. And so we have to stay true to that. But I think now it's a matter of, so what can you do to extend the learning experience with your programs and, and help them go back to the job and apply it?
0: yeah so it sounds like as you yourself emphasize that that your answer to this question of kind of selling into these companies is that it really does get back to what you first started with about that change from events to experience, and so really focusing on the value around the whole experience that that the actual course or whatever the learning intervention might be is as you said kind of that's that's sort of the table stakes, and it's really about the the overall value beyond that and it, using things like mobile learning. Or whatever it takes to help them um, really begin to apply what they learn.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly well said. I think that's at the heart of the the change that we're experiencing in our profession today, too. I mean, you you know, to some regards, we think that we're at a crossroads, meaning that the profession needs to change in a positive way to to create more value and to create a a better, excuse me, a better. uh, perception with our executives in the companies, you know, there's it's the age old story that we don't have a seat at the table and, you know, we're not considered value. We're the first, the first, uh, spend to get cut when, uh, revenues are down or earnings are down. Well, the reason for that is because we haven't done the right things in the past. We haven't earned that seat at the table. We haven't earned the right to be viewed as, as being a value contributor to the business. And that's why I say we're kind of at this, kind of interesting crossroads for the profession. It says, wait a minute, this is time we've got to start thinking about it differently. And I think the good news is executives expect more of us, right? They expect us to create value. They expect us to do things that, add, that actually change behavior. Uh, their expectation is greater than just, hey, deliver another course, deliver another program. And so I think it's a good Thing. I mean there's more demand on us and more pressure on us to perform and and, and to uh, show success and uh, and I, I welcome that challenge
0: mm. and I, and I think that dovetails very well with a, the next question I wanted to ask you about because um, I, you know you focus on the professional needs of of the learning professional and that you have the, the leaders of corporate learning that, that are squarely in your target audience, but you're also really interested in, in developing leaders. And so could you talk a little bit about how and, and why you do that, why you develop, uh, training leaders?
2: Yeah, well, you know, we've had a, a, um, a passion for a number of years about understanding best practices and understanding, you know, where the profession is moving, how the industry is shifting, that type thing. And one of the things that we, <clears throat> we recognized a number of years ago was, you know, there's really not a lot of uh, development programs out there for the leaders of corporate training functions. You know, it, you, you don't. It's not a popular thing to go get a, a bachelor's degree in, in corporate training, for example. You can get an adult education, but they tend to have a more academic view of the world as opposed to an application view. So, uh, we did quite a bit of research in partnership with uh, with Pearson and put together a certification program called the CPTM. Which uh, stands for Certified Professional in Training Management, and our passion was to create a, a an extended experience program that that really developed business leaders who happen to work in training, as opposed to training professionals who happen to work in business. Mm. And so, our program is very focused on business skills as it relates to corporate training. We do teach best practices about how you manage what we call a high-performing training function we're actually launching a series of new programs that we call functional courses that teach uh training professionals how to transform the training function how to manage the leadership training function how to manage a sales training function and so on so we are very very passionate about this space and are continuing to do research and and continuing to offer more programs that that help the the business leaders of training you know kind of a kind of make this shift, if you may.
0: Well, yeah, and it sounds like that also aligns, again, with what you're talking about, about the experience versus the uh, events, that when you sort of put these um, different roles and responsibilities under the umbrella of, of that CPTM, that, that you're really getting at, at the experience, you're really getting at, you know, the, the application of, of these ideas, how they really plays out in, in the daily work that these folks are doing.
2: Yeah, that's what we're really trying to emphasize. And, and as a matter of fact, for example, the program, it has a, a, a deep a set of online courses to kind of prep the learner for what we call a practicum. A practicum isn't a face-to-face, or we do we actually do deliver it virtually now. But it is a simulation-based program where students come together to work on business problems related to corporate training, and uh, and we've just had wonderful success. It's the fastest-growing program in the industry for training managers, and uh, and we're going to continue to try to uh, offer uh, what we call our alumni of the program more programs over time, and uh, so we're really, really excited about it.
0: Well, that's great, and, and, and so, you know, that I think is a, an area where you're excited. You, you've mentioned passion several times there. Um, so maybe To take a a slightly different view of of things, you know, what do you see as the major opportunities and threats for learning businesses today?
2: Well, I'll start with the threats. I think the the greatest threat is us. It's Mm -hmm. not outside threat. It's us not kind of making the changes that we need to, not recognizing that the old way of of providing what what we term is somewhat. uh, academically oriented institutionally oriented content that's really not its really not aligned to the, the needs of the business. It really doesn't have an application component to it. Um, and so we have to change. and we have to recognize that the problems we're experiencing in our profession are not f- coming from outside forces. They're, they're internal issues with how we're doing things, how we're, how we're viewed, you know how we're approaching, uh, our function and our services. So turn that to the other side and what are the greatest opportunities? I, I think the greatest opportunity is exactly that is is learning, <clears throat> excuse me, learning more about how to provide these type of broad-based learning experience extended learning experience programs and solutions. I think there's wonderful technologies That's entering the market today that we find incredibly exciting, for example, around the adaptive learning platforms that we're, that we're learning more and more about. And these are very early stage adaptive platforms, meaning the science behind them are early days. There's a, there's going to be a lot of advancement in those over the next few years. I think the other uh, advancements that we're really excited to see uh, or in the technologies, the mobile apps and things like that that allow us to extend that experience, meaning you know, there may be a structured learning program, a formal program that the learner goes through and then they go back to the job, then we can send them information through mobile devices that reinforce uh, uh, really key concepts, key ideas, key, key models, whatever those things may be, but also the immediate access. Uh, where if a learner, you know, doing the job, and all of a sudden they recognize, hey, I need this piece of information. I can get it. I mean, it's, it's literally at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the old days we called that electronic performance uh, support systems. <laughs> right <laughs> now,adays it's really come to play as reality, and uh, and we think the technology advancements there are just. They're phenomenal and going to be uh, even more so in the next few years. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. I think the the other thing that, that we find that's really exciting is the research from neuroscientists around basically the science of learning. You know, we have found that, you know, if you go back 100 years, the reality is, People learn in a very similar way today than they have for 100, 120 years. Now, most people would say, well, wait a second, no, that's not true. People are different today. People have different objectives. What we have learned is that people learn differently from the standpoint of how they get access to information, how they view information, how they go through training programs, but how they internally process information is somewhat very much the same human beings haven't changed that much from that perspective but but they've changed about how they get access to information how they go through programs and uh, and so how we design learning solutions is really the opportunity because people you know there's some a, a level of consistency uh, about how the brain works and whatnot that uh that we believe in and science is telling us that that part of it hasn't really changed very much
0: well, that's great. I mean, I, I like that you first contextualized the threat as, you know, not external, but the, the threat being our, ourselves and, and not doing right. what we need to do. And, and the the upside there, of course, is that if we're the threat, I mean, that's that's where we have influence, where we can make some changes that uh, we that's can. That's right.
2: Um, we, had, we can control it, yeah. right? So Yeah, that's yeah. great.
0: And then and then I absolutely, too, uh, you know, completely agree and, and love the point about, I mean, we're finding out so much through neuroscience about how we learn, and like you said, it's it's really consistent, um, you know, across learners, and, and like you said, it hasn't changed uh, radically, and so it is about then how we use the new tools and technologies that we have to support what we now understand even better about how people learn.
2: Yeah, and if I could uh, I'll add a couple of real quick points, you know, uh, a popular concept or model that that became somewhat in vogue over the last couple of years, a few years, is this model of the 70-20-10, mm-hmm. which basically states, you know, that 70% of the information that a knowledge worker gets to do their job comes from on-the-job experiences and 10% comes from formal learning and 20-social. And, uh, you know, I think the idea that we've got to change from the standpoint that, you know, this 10 is where our focus has been. Now we've got to learn how to create impact at the 70. And if you also look at some of the neuroscientists, such as one of them very, um, have a lot of favoritism to i have been studying his work. We've become very good friends in, in doing some joint research projects. There's a gentleman named Dr. Anders Erickson at Florida mm. State University. Uh, his, his recent book in 2016 is called Peak, which he basically deals with the concept of peak performance and how do you become an expert In whatever field or skill you're you're in. And, uh, you know, he basically professes this concept of what we call deliberate practice. Mm -hmm. And the idea of when you go to the job is, you know, we all would probably agree that the best way to learn something is by doing it. So the question becomes so why aren't we actually designing practice into the job and actually creating a purposeful approach to getting better every single day you're working as opposed to the idea that the only time I learn is I have to go back. To a course and then I go back to the job and do. Now the reality is I learn while I do, mm-hmm. and so this is where we've got to rethink, you know, how we manage that.
0: That's great. That yes, thank you for adding those points and um, yeah, building in that the opportunities for practice makes makes a lot of sense. And my my next question probably builds a little bit, perhaps, on what you're already talking about. But I know you know when you co-wrote the, the, the book, What Makes a Great Training Organization. I know that part of what you did was look at a lot of data um, uh, in order to come to the conclusion of what makes uh, for a great training organization. So you know, based on that data, based on your other experience, um, you know, what would your top tip or two be for folks currently running a learning business? You know, what should they be doing that they're likely not doing?
2: Well, I think the, uh, the the most important thing that we would suggest is to is to shift their focus from how to manage events and programs and courses to really think about how they, they build and develop what we would call a high performance learning system. And a high performance learning system is basically the idea it's, it's the, 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 uh, the bringing together. All of the different learning opportunities that an individual has or needs over the period of time where they go from, let's say, new on that job role to the time that they reach what we would consider a targeted level of performance. And so if you think in concept of the learning curve, you know, depending on a job, it may take somebody two weeks, it may take them two years to really, really become an exceptional performer on a particular job depending on the complexity of the skills. So what we suggest is to to think about the total time it takes for an individual to become an expert performer on the job and to kind of get out of the micro-thinking you know, about, hey, how, how do I build the best course? So how do I design a learning system that includes all of those particular things? So it includes what we call formal structured learning. What are the course programs? How do you, how do you onboard? It includes, uh, you know, are we recruiting the right core skills to the job? Uh, how are we and practice into the job? What are we doing to create on-demand micro-learning uh, opportunities so when a, an individual has a problem uh, they know how to get, get the answer to that problem very, very quickly, using whether it be video or, or whatever the mechanism. And I can kind of go down the list, how do we use assessments to help us in that system? That's where we, um, we think that the, the, uh, the greatest opportunity for a learning leader is.
0: So sort of playing the long game, rather than these, these, the short events, it's the long game of how do you get that, that uh, individual up to kind of the, the peak performance.
2: That's right. It's it's kind of again. I use the term the extended experience. It's 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 getting away from just being micro-oriented or just event-oriented to being system-oriented. And if it takes, for example, a a particular role to uh, to become uh, proficient or a high performance six months, so design that six month system. Instead of thinking about designing individual courses, and don't get me wrong, we need courses, we need programs, we lead, we need individual elements, but but the future is about how we put them all together mm. and be very purposeful about those.
0: So again, you've you've had a lot of experience in the the, the training field. Um, you've been very hands-on for for a number of years. So, it, but if you look out on the horizon, you know what's going on with learning these days that, that most excites you or, or what's right there on the horizon that you're kind of avidly watching and, and waiting for its arrival?
2: Well, you know, if you had asked me that question a year ago, I probably would have taken a more technology view of mm-hmm. that. And don't get me wrong, we study the technologies and the evolution of technology and where the investments come in and that type thing. But I think I'm getting most excited right now in our research Around uh, this practice of performances, uh, high performing learning systems, meaning, what are all the elements and what are the variables that you have to control uh, to get somebody from a new hire or or the beginning of a job role to a point of peak performance, um, and working with some of the top scientists in the world in the field to understand those those things uh, and understand the practices. So it, it's, I think. Um, you know, we're really, really excited about practice, and and not just a concept to practice, but you know, the idea that that is the practice of learning. It's the things that we do and how we manage the experiences that's more powerful than a tool, a technology, a course. All of those things are enablers, uh, but it's how we put them all together that uh, really, really gets us excited. And we think that's the future of our profession. Um, and uh, You know, I think our challenge, too, has been the profession has been very, uh, let's call it event-oriented, because that's how we've tended to monetize our services. Mm -hmm. If you're on the supply side, that's how we make money. I sell a course. But what we're seeing is the corporations are becoming more and more uh, interested and willing to pay for extended services. For example, to pay for coaching, which we think coaching is a vital part of this overall solution mentorship. And uh, and companies are more and more willing to pay for those. I think we've got some work to do about how we develop coaches and how we develop supervisors and immediate managers as coaches and mentors. So just a phenomenal amount of opportunities.
0: Well, great. And so as we begin to, to wrap up, I want to ask you as our next to last question, one that we ask uh, everyone who comes on the Leading Learning Podcast. And we'd just like to hear about one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved with as an adult learner, you know, since finishing your, your formal education?
2: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question by the way. And, uh, offers a lot of reflection. I think probably the most influential thing that ever happened to me in my profession, I was the head of training worldwide for a very large technology company prior to starting training com and training industry. Um, and I was asked by the, the chief operating officer and ultimately the CEO to, to manage a team uh, that looked at changing business processes for a lot of our central office functions, so training being one of them, you know, HR, uh, commodity procurement, so on. And, um, and we worked for about a year in coming up with a new business model. This is back in the late 1990s, and, um, and we basically came up with a BPO model. Uh, which is business process outsourcing model, which we went to and uh, hired a company to uh, to manage all of the functional areas for us for a number of years, and I got to lead that business for a while um, um, you know afterwards but the 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 biggest thing about that was number one, it it, it taught me, the, you know, the the art and skill of the big deal. You know, it's about mm-hmm. a seven hundred and eighty million dollar deal that we put together, and how to negotiate, how to put those deals together, how to structure it, how to price it, how to then manage it over time. Um, and so, um, you know, and it it changed my life. It put me in the business that I'm in today because it gave me those uh, more and more of those business skills and how to apply them that. You know, I've got an MBA, but those help you, but you really need to learn how to apply them. And that's what gave me that opportunity. And it, at the time, I didn't realize at the time it became the largest deal that had ever been done in the corporate training industry, which has now been surpassed, but it's a very, very large business opportunity.
0: Well, yes, yeah, so and it speaks directly to this idea of, of of practice. Like you said, you had the MBA, but here you were able to really apply and put into practice what you had learned yeah, exactly. and learned through that. So that's great. So, so final question is just if listeners want to know more about training industry or, or want to perhaps connect with you, where would you have them go?
2: Yeah, so uh, please visit trainingindustry.com, and uh, I think what you'll find is a variety of information about the, the very broad-based uh, corporate training marketplace from different communities of practice around sales training, IT training. Uh, leadership training, learning technologies, workforce development, and so on. Uh, I'm happy to take emails and um, and and uh, get involved in conversations with you. Uh, you can reach me at d.harward at trainingindustry dot com. And uh, but we would welcome you to visit our site and and feel free to send me a note.
0: Great, thank you so much for your time, Doug. Thank you, Lisa. It's been my pleasure.
1: That wraps up our interview with Doug Harwood. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 123. And while you're there, you'll be able to get the link to the article by Doug that we referenced at the beginning of the episode. And definitely make sure you check that out to get some tips into how to start your training business, or even if you're not starting, just some great tips that are going to help make sure that you're positioned to grow as well as possible.
0: And while you're on the show notes page at leadinglearning.com slash episode 123, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, and if you're not already subscribed, we would be truly grateful if you would take just a minute to do that.
1: We'd also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. We make that easy to do. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. It'll put you in the right place. We appreciate knowing that you're getting value out of the podcast. And those reviews help us pop up in the rankings so that others who might be interested in the Leading Learning podcast will be more likely to find it.
0: And we'd be grateful if you would take just a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Blue Sky eLearn. Jeff and I put a lot of work into producing and delivering the Leading Learning Podcast, and one of the reasons we're able to do that is because of the support of sponsors like Blue Sky eLearn. So please check them out at blueskyelearn.com. In addition to finding out about their products and services, you're going to find a great variety of free resources
1: last but certainly not least, please consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet to share with the world simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share and that'll pop up a tweet that you can just click send on. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can take that language or language of your choice and put it into whichever social networks you use. But please help us share the word.
0: Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.